Well, good morning. All right, it's always wonderful to see everyone here today. And, uh, you know, I shared uh, some time back that um, several years ago, I kind of changed uh, the way that I would um, uh, end a, a text or uh, in regards to this. Uh, for years here at Northside, I was always referred to as Brother David, and uh, but eventually I had to change that to Pastor David. And the reason that I did that was because I had sent out some texts, just some, some, some general texts to different church members, you know, maybe happy birthday or, you know, following up on something. And, and I signed it, Brother David. Uh, and unbeknownst to me, they actually had a brother David. And they responded to my text in a way that they never would have responded to Pastor David. And so because of that, I, I kind of changed over. So now I typically, uh, you know, will do Pastor David, and that's why. But, uh, you know, titles carry different meanings, don't they? They, they, they do. Sometimes uh, even perhaps qualifications. Uh, you, everyone in this room uh, or many of us have, have different titles that would fall to, whether pastor, coach, teacher, uh, officer, uh, uh, nurse. You know, we, we can go on down the list, right? But, but those titles carry some kind of a meaning or a qualification with them. Well, Names often do too, names that were given. Uh, certainly that was true in Isaiah's day. You may recall last week I, I shared a passage in Isaiah where God had told Isaiah to name his second-born son this, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, right? Uh, not a common name, but, but that name I didn't share last week. It actually carries a meaning with it as well. And, and the meaning is this, swift to the spoils, Right now, the people in Isaiah's day would have understood what that meant, that uh, just like we would may maybe say to the victor goes the spoils. Well, that was very true. When, when you conquered another land or a kingdom, immediately then they would go in with that rally cry and take everything that now they believed belonged to them because they were victorious in the battle. Right? Well, in Isaiah's day then, as God told him to name his coming son that, the people would have understood that that's exactly what that meant. See, that, that was on the heels of Ahaz uh, not abiding by God's counsel through Isaiah and, and instead turning away from him. And so the people would have understood it that it was speaking about their coming doom that would come very swiftly. Now, names carry meaning, and sometimes we do that too, but now, I, I was born in 1971. In 71, that wasn't really the case. Like before me, you had uh, the big hippie movement and everything, and every child, moon child or star baby, or, you know, things like that. And I think they kind of just uh, pushed against that. So when I was born, it, it was just the, the normal names. You know, everybody, you know, Bill, John, David, uh, Christy, Ann, Jane. And if that's your name, I'm in that group too. Right? It's not, it's not, I'm not picking. I'm just saying you would likely be in class with four other people with the same first name. Right, and it was just the way it was. I just don't think they put a lot into it. Now, maybe that was a family name that carried on, but it seemed like they just kind of said, well, here's, here's a popular name. Let's go with that one. Well, today I noticed where young couples are kind of starting to, to, to shift that back around again, and they, they want their children's name to have some kind of meaning associated with it, something behind it. In fact, I went around to this, a lot of the staff this week and was asking them, hey, how'd you come up with the names? And, and I'm not going to single any of them out, but there were some interesting stories as well, uh, I must say, uh, I, I actually, uh, there, there was one couple, not in our, not in our staff group, but uh, th that I heard, and the way they had gotten engaged near a body of water, right? And so they said, so because we got engaged near some water, 
We know that when we have our firstborn child, if it's a boy, we're going to name him River, right? And if it's a girl, we're going to name her Brooke, right? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, but all this, like, we, we, just, we want it to, to, to mean something, right? Um, another story, uh, there was uh, a, a couple, and they were actually having their third child. Uh, they had had two sons already. This was going to be their third son. And after the child was born, the administrator of the church comes in and says, all right, we need to finish the uh, birth certificate information. And so what name would you like for this son, this child to have? Uh, and they gave the name Euro. Right, So they write it down, they go away, and uh, just moments later, the administrator returns back to the room, and he says, I, I'm sorry, you can't name your child Euro because that's a currency. And the man said, well, you had no, I had no objections when I named my first two sons, Mark and Frank. <laughs> that one will take you a minute. And in the next service, I'll tell them to look it up on Google, right? Um <laughs> Names, titles, often there is some kind of significance that goes along with it. Well, in our series in December, we're looking at the names, the, the, the titles and the descriptors that are given to Jesus in probably one of the most familiar Christmas passages, and that is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. But with that, also a reminder that, that Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus forever will be all these things for us. You know, nearly 27% of the entire Bible is said to be prophetic, uh, according at least to J.B. Uh, Payne, who uh, authored the Encyclopedia of Biblical Pro uh, Prophecy. Half of that prophecy then, of the 27%, was fulfilled with the advent or the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, within the Old Testament, though, there is no single book that speaks more about this coming of the Messiah then is found in the book of Isaiah. I mentioned last week that it's, uh, the prophet Isaiah is often referred to as the evangelical prophet because of how much he spoke of the coming of Messiah, of Jesus. Now, I'll give you a quick background. I gave a lot more in depth last week. We'll go through it quickly today, but King David was, was king over all of Israel. Uh, he died, passed it down then to his son Solomon. Uh, Solomon died, and following that, there was, the, there was a, a civil war, if you will, which divided the kingdom. You had the northern and southern, you had uh, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, so, so it was divided. Well, following that, then Israel was the first to really fall into apostasy, to, to, to walk away from God, and, uh, and in doing so, were literally wiped out by the Assyrians. And this happened more than 700 years before uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, around that same time then, uh, Ahaz was the king of Judah, right? Now, Assyria had already wiped out Israel, right? And, and so all of the, the kingdoms surrounding now Judah, they, they were kind of fearful. And so they began, all the kings began to get together, and they came up with this plot, this plan. Listen, if we all band together as one... We can withstand the attacks of the Assyrians. So they went to Ahaz and, and made that offer, but Ahaz didn't really trust the other kings, right? And so he kind of backed away from that. Well, following that, then the king of Assyria came to Ahaz as well. And he made a similar offer. He said, listen, we've already taken Israel. You know we can take you too. So I tell you what, I hear some chatter going on that everybody's going to team up against us. Why don't you join us? And you can be victorious as well. So now here Ahaz has both sides coming to him. All these other kingdoms trying to withstand Assyria. Assyria now coming to him saying, hey, you can join with us in this battle. Well, following that, then around that same time, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz as well. 
And what Ahaz tells him that God is saying is this. Listen, you don't need to side with either one of them. You just need to remain faithful and abide in me, and I will be with you. In fact, he said, I will give you a sign. We looked at this last week. The virgin will, will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God will be with you. Right Now, Ahaz, however, after taking all this in, both sides coming to him, and then ultimately the prophet of God coming and saying, even God's saying, here's what you ought to do. And yet Ahaz put his faith in Assyria. Rather than, than waiting on God or, or trusting in God, and remember what we looked at last week, in his mind, hey, this Savior's coming, it's at least going to be nine months before that kid's born, I could be dead by then. Right? So I, I want to fix things now, and, and so he sided with Assyria. And that would ultimately prove to be Judah's downfall. Well, in Isaiah, then, chapter 9, what you have is God's promise, then, of a future blessing that was coming. Even though Ahaz walked away, even though Judah would fall as Israel did, there is a blessing and a promise coming. And we see that in chapter 9. And by the way, you ever notice how people will seek out counsel? Right, advice from strangers on the internet, and as long as they uh, agree with what they're saying, oh, it's the gospel truth, right? But a loving friend or, or a loving family member go to someone and give them some good biblical counsel, and all of a sudden you're judgmental, you're narrow minded, right? Like, well, well, as long as people are telling us what we want to hear, that's what we go to. Well, that's exactly what Isaiah faced, and, and after he went to the king and suggested you shouldn't do that. Now, history tells us, you won't find this in the Bible, but in, but in other recorded documents of history, that Isaiah was taken, placed inside of a log, and literally sawed in half. And why? Simply for giving the counsel that, that God gave for him to share. Well, with that being said then, before he was cut in half, here, here are some of the, the final words then that, that he had to share. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the, the great Christmas passage. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Now, each week what we've done then is we, we focused on primarily on these two descriptors, if you will, these uh, names and titles of Jesus. Now, remember what I said last week, that these are they're both nouns and not adjectives that are given there, even though they, that they appear to be that way. Each one is capitalized, which really what they are, they are dual names for God. But they also work together. Now, just as I shared last week, I, I'm a teacher-preacher. Both are true as nouns. I am a teacher. I am a preacher. Uh, but objectively as well, I am a teacher. That is my style of communication and preaching and in a teaching method. So, so that's what we see. It says then a child will be born for us. We, we see right in the beginning this, this statement of the humanity of Jesus, that, that he would enter this world just like all of us and like, like any other human, born as an infant. But this child was different. This child was special. This child was born for us. Ultimately, he was born for all. He was born for a purpose. He was born for us, and it says, and a son will be given to us. Here we see this, the, the picture of, of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God's one and only son, and he is then given by God to us. Remember what we said last week, but what's so special about a gift? You have to receive it, right? It's just a present until the, the, the person that is receiving it actually takes it, and God extends that gift of his son to us. It says this gift then, the, the government 
will be on his shoulders. A reminder that, that Jesus answers to, to no authority whatsoever on this earth. And then our first descriptors, and this Jesus, who is God's one and only Son, who is a, a gift to all of us who would receive him, who the government shall be placed on his shoulders, he is wonderful. That word wonderful, the Hebrew word, that he, is, he is holy, he, he, is, he is glorious, he, he is like no other. But not only is he wonderful, not only is he, he glorious, but he is counselor. Meaning he is our guide in life. He is God's gift to, to help us. And today, not only is he wonderful, not only is he counselor, Jesus is mighty. And Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You know, there's a lot of cults out there today that would say, well, Jesus is a great man of God. Some would go as far as to say Jesus is a son of God, one of many sons of God. But Christianity says not only is he the one and only son of God, but he is God. Through the Trinity, he is God. John chapter 10 and verse 30 says this, Jesus speaking says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10 and verse 30. Now what's interesting, if you keep reading in John chapter 10, the next verse says that they desired to stone him to death. Why? Because of that very statement. See, when Jesus came doing some miracles, well, they, they could tolerate some of that. When Jesus came as a great teacher, well, they've seen that before. But when Jesus made the claim that he is God, it was then that the religious leader said, we must kill him. That was the straw, if you will, that, that broke the camel's back. Another time, John 14, uh, beginning in verse 8, just a few chapters later, was time after Jesus had talked to uh, sharing with the disciples, listen, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you and, and all this. And we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 14. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus responded in this way. He said this, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus said, I am God. We are one. Jesus is God and Jesus is is mighty he would enter this world like no one ever has before in that manger from a virgin and not only that but he would do things that had never been seen before and never will again he would come he would heal the sick he, he would come he would feed the multitudes from nothing and ultimately and eventually he would even raise the dead he is mighty God. The Hebrew word there, the, the two words come together, El Gabor. El is that, that word for God, like El Shaddai, El Roy that we see, but uh, the word for God. And then Gabor, which is translated together, God the Mighty One, right? It's a noun, two nouns put together. So he is God and he is the Mighty One. God the Mighty One. But the word Gabor, if you actually look it up, it actually means powerful, to be powerful. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's translated this way as hero. He is powerful and he is hero. He, he's not just our God, but I love that terminology. 
He's our hero. He not only has the power that no one else has, but also the desire to use it for us, the desire to save us. That's what a hero does, right? A hero exercises their unique gifts, talents, or abilities for the good of others. Jesus came as God to be mighty for us, for you, to be our Savior, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That statement, the government will be on his shoulders. It's looking beyond Christmas to a time that's still to come when Christ will reign over a literal, uh, earthly, geopolitical kingdom that encompasses all the kingdoms and all the governments of the world. And in that day, the government of the whole world will rest on his shoulders. And he and he alone will reign as sovereign over a worldwide kingdom of righteousness and peace. He alone, he is God, and he is mighty. And can I tell you something? He's not concerned with any presidency. He doesn't care who gets elected. It don't bother him. Can I get an amen? Y'all don't want to say that, do you? Can I get an amen? He don't care. He alone is mighty. Isaiah 13, 6 refers to Jesus as the, the almighty. He alone is the almighty one. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is mighty. He is almighty. And he is God. You know, there, there are two stories in the New Testament uh, they're found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic gospels just means that they, they, they chronologically lay out the, the story of Jesus in, in a very similar fashion in following the same chronology. It's found in, in all three of the synoptic gospels. Both stories address man's fear, and both stories address Jesus' mighty power. I want to read the, share the first one with you. It's, it's a familiar passage. Though it's found in Matthew and Luke, I'm going to read Mark uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. It says, On that day when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. And this is going down, and here's how they respond. Who's this guy? Like, who does this? Now, remember, they were already Jesus' disciples. They had already been with him when, when he had filled those, uh, healed those with diseases, those with leprosy, the, those that were considered unhealable, right? Uh, he, he had, he, they had already seen him heal the lame people. They had already seen him cast out demons. And yet now, they say, man, even the weather obeys him. 
He, he can rebuke everything. Now, let me say a word about that. You can only rebuke uh, someone or something that you have power over, right? You, you have to be empowered in order to do that. You can rebuke your own kids, but you'll struggle to rebuke someone else's. Amen? Uh, you can rebuke your own employees, but you cannot rebuke someone else's employees. You, you can only rebuke the things that you have authority over, right? Um, I, heard, I heard a great illustration one time like this. You, you ever been in our parking lot and someone's car alarm goes off, right? And everybody starts scrambling, you know, is it me, is it me? And they're looking. And then ultimately what happens is the owner of the car emerges. They take out that key fob. They press that button, beep, beep, and silence. It stops. Do you know what happened on that boat? There Jesus is with professional fishermen. And there is a storm that has taken them so much so that they thought, we're going to die even with Jesus with us. They wake him up and say, man, don't you even care? Jesus gets up in that boat. You can almost picture him rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. What's going on, guys? They're freaking out. And Jesus takes out his key fob. Beep, beep. And calms the storm. They had never seen anything like that. Friends, Jesus is a mighty God. He can do what has never been seen. He did it then, and he can do it now. And do you realize that's why he came into this world? He wants to do that for us, for you. Whatever situation you may face, yeah, that is a, that is a, a story that, that Jesus has power even over the elements of this world. It's, we, we always like to go, he can calm the storm in your life, and he can. Because he can do those things. If we trust and understand that he is mighty, he would go on to even defeat the grave. You see, Ahaz was faced with a problem. And he thought that his problem was bigger than God. I mean, Isaiah came to him and said, Hey, God said, if you'll just trust in him, everything will be good. He thought his situation was, was too much. The disciples, when they were in that boat... They thought their problem was too big, even for Jesus. And so, friends, the question for us in this Christmas time, what do you think? Is your situation so unique that the mighty Jesus can't handle it, can't forgive you for it, can't overcome it in you or through you? Jesus is God. Jesus is mighty, and Jesus is for you if you'll receive his gift. There's another time uh, that I'll share as well. Another time when, when the disciples were sent away by Jesus in a boat, and, and a big storm came up, also found in, in the Gospels, and um, the storm is overtaking them, and they're scared once again. But this time was a little different because this time Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. This time uh, they, were, they were all alone in their boat and, and they were afraid and they thought for sure they were going to die yet again. And they look out in the storm and they see this, this figure coming towards them. And as they look a little bit closer, they realize that that's not a boat, that, that's a man. And as they look even closer, that, that man's not on the bank, he's out in the middle of the sea. It was Jesus walking on the water towards them. 
And they cried out because the text says that they thought, that surely this is a ghost. We're, we're, we're seeing things, right? Maybe we've already died, you know, and there's just some kind of vision or whatever. And, and so they, they cry out. Matthew shares in, in his account that, that Peter then asked Jesus, Lord, if it's you, if it's not just your ghost, if this really is you that we're seeing in the midst of the storm, command me to come to you on the water. And in Matthew 14, Jesus did just that. Matthew in the middle of that storm of that boat rocking, he steps over the bow of that boat onto the water, looking at Jesus and realizing he's walking on the water too. But then, just as that's taking place, the text says that he began to get worried about the storm. You can imagine the thunders cracking around him. Maybe peripherally, he saw a lightning bolt out of the corner of his eye. And he took his focus off Jesus. He, he began to look at the storm, all the things that were happening around him. He began to look back and realize he, he had a boat that was behind him now. And in that moment of fear, Peter began sinking in that sea. It was then Jesus reached out his hand and Peter took hold and he lifted him up. And then together, they got back in that boat. You know, Peter realized in that moment that all the might of Jesus was available to him as long as he put his faith in him, in Christ. As long as his eyes were on him, as long as he was willing to take him by the hand. I don't know about y'all. I'm pastor. And there are times when I'm walking with the Lord, and I'm going to tell you, I'm walking on water. My eyes are on Jesus. Things are good. I, man, I'm telling you, I, I'm walking on water. I, I'm not paying attention to any of the storms of life. And then there's other times when things are good, and yet my focus isn't on Christ like it should be. And I'm going to tell you what, I, maybe I began to, to look back at the past. May, maybe I began to look at the storms and all the stuff that's happening around me or in my life, and, and my focus is off Christ, and I began to sink in those same waters. Have you been there? Are you there today? He's here. He is God. He is mighty. And He is for us. If we'll choose to take His hand. If we'll choose to put our faith in Him. You know, the, the worst mistake we make at Christmas is simply just keep Jesus in that manger. Cute little story we tell in December. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is mighty and, and he is God. And friends, he's all that for you if you'll let him. I want to close with a familiar Christmas passage. Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by his statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for the mighty God. Let's pick up in verse 46. And Mary, remember, she was afraid when the angel appeared. And you can imagine hearing these words. She, she had all kinds of fears welling up in her. Verse 46, she responds, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation. For those who fear him. Mary, even the, the Virgin Mary, as we call her, in, in, that, in that time of fear of intrepidation, came to realize, yes, he is the mighty one. And he has done great things, she says, for me. And I know that he will do even greater things after me. From generation to to generation. Jesus was mighty then. Friends, he is mighty today. And don't ever forget, because sometimes we get so wrapped up in that little manger scene in December at Christmas time. He's coming again. And friends, I'm telling you, the next time he's coming, it's going to be totally different. I'm convinced if Michael Bulfer, if he's a believer and he's, he's dead at that time, he's going to be the angel. That he's going to, they're going to let him do the announcement. Let's get ready to rumble. Right? He's, going to, he's going to let it roll because Jesus is coming back. He ain't going to be in swaddling cloth. I guarantee you that. He's coming back like an MMA fighter entering the ring, tatted up, sword coming out of the mouth. He's coming back mighty. He's coming again. Friends, you ain't going to swaddle that one up. Is Jesus mighty for you today? For this Christmas, there's nothing he won't do for you because there's nothing he hasn't already accomplished for you. Let's pray. Father, and I pray that we could wrap our minds around the fact that such an innocent, humble birth carried such a a mighty Savior. And Father, that the stories we read in the, in the New Testament of the mighty works of Jesus, God, that we would never treat them as though that's something that happened 2,000 years ago, but yet can't be revealed in my life today. God, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are God. You are mighty.
and you are for us. And Jesus, we thank you. If there's anyone here today who, who's not received that gift, I pray that today, this moment, they would ask you to save them, to be mighty in their life, to accomplish what they can as their hero, to, to overcome their sin and temptations. And God, that as a church, we would, we would leave this place to, to engage our world, realizing we carry the gospel of a mighty God who came to save. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.